Love knows no bounds, but nor does grief. The more we love, the more we have to lose. Pieces move across the board, and the stranger comes for all in their time. But how does one cope with losing a father, a son, and an unborn babe? How can one woman withstand all that pain and remain upright and ready to fight? She must steal her heart and fill it with cold fire to do cold-blooded deeds. All hail the Black Queen. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Constance. Good evening. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Morgan. Hi, everybody. Solar, who's not with us today, and myself, Sam. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are talking about the season one finale, The Black Queen. We open with Lucerys looking over the painted table, telling his mother Rhaenyra he's not fit to rule Driftmark. Rhaenyra calms him, talking about her own doubts as queen, but how he'll learn how to rule. Rhaenyra arrives and brings word of Viserys' death and Aegon's coronation, bringing Daemon to a rage and Rhaenyra to birth. We get another agonizing, painful birth scene as Rhaenyra goes into an early birth. Her groans and screams are heard as Daemon makes plans for war, only to be confronted by Jaceris speaking for his mother, declaring no plans will be made while she is not there. Daemon brings Jaceris with him to threaten Stefan Darklin and Sir Laurent Marbrand of the King's Guard into swearing to Rhaenyra. It's quite a lesson. Rhaenyra gives birth to a stillborn baby, and we see her and Daemon grieve separately. At the funeral, Sir Eric arrives with Viserys' crown, and she is crowned by Daemon. All in attendance bow to her except for Rhaenys. Rhaenyra makes counsel for the first time since becoming queen, but counsel is interrupted by Sir Otto, who bravely, stupidly, I'm not really sure, arrives with some garbage terms and his cards laid out on the table. Before guaranteed bloodshed, Otto hands Rhaenyra the page she ripped from Nymeria and her 10,000 ships from all those years and episodes ago when she was hanging out with her bestie, Allison. Back at council, tensions rise when Rhaenyra mentions the Song of Ice and, Sire, Song of Ice and Fire to Daemon, who chokes her, and we discover he never heard this prophecy from Viserys. Corlys Valerian has recovered and finally admits he's been an ambitious prick and calls for neutrality until Rhaenyra informs him that they can't do that. In a classic, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> he declares for Rhaenyra and plans are made. The narrow sea and step zones are in Corlys's control, so Rhaenys and Maelys will help blockade King's Landing. Jocerys heads to Winterfell in the Eyrie, and Lucerys is on his way to the Stormlands to gather support. Jocerys and Lucerys swear to act as messengers, not warriors, to Rhaenyra, as we get a sweet goodbye and hype session, and the dragons and their riders are off. Meanwhile, Damon is, sing- is seen singing to Vermithor in an absolutely sick scene with Matt Smith being his most Matt Smithy Smith Smith as Damon. Lucerys arrives in Storm's End during a storm, how fitting, only to see Vagar has already arrived. Lord Boros receives Lucerys as Aemon looks on. Boros's maester reads him his message as he was born to lead, not to read, and denies Queen Rhaenyra for King Aegon and the marriage proposals offered. Aemon gets into bully mode and we get a look at his sapphire eye as he heckles for Lucerys's eye. 
Boris is having none of it and sends them away, which leads to a dragon fight chase with Aemon upon Vagar going after Jaceris on Eryx. This unfortunately ends with Jaceris and Eryx killed by Vagar as Aemon looks on in horror. Finally, we see Rhaenyra receive the information of her son's death and a look of rage ends the first season. Be sure to listen and play co- pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're starting with our segment, For the Love of Lore, where I will be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the World of Ice and Fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about the Painted Table. So the Painted Table is located on Dragonstone in the chamber of the Painted Table. Uh, It's a great round room with walls of bare black stone and four tall, narrow windows that look out to the four points of the compass. Uh, Located through a passageway behind the Dragonstone throne. The table itself was 50 feet long, around 20 feet wide at its widest, and 4 feet at its thinnest. Uh, the details is carved out of wood. Some believe this wood is werewood, uh, since there's other, other notable structures that are made out of werewood as well, including the table of the Kingsguard and the werewood throne in the Eyrie as some examples. Um, it's carved into the shape of Westeros. It has 300 years of varnish. Uh, every peninsula and bay is, is carved into this table. Um, There's no borders, just rivers, castles, cities, lakes, mountains, forests, whatever it is in the land, it's on this table. Um, It's supposed to kind of look like one kingdom is how Aegon wanted it. Um, it, And everything on this table is looking like it's just before Aegon's conquest. So if there's any any new cities, you're probably not going to see it on the table. Uh, it's near the dra- near where Dragonstone is. There's a raised seat to view the entire table, um, and in the show, as we saw, the table can be lit by candles going underneath it. A little short history about the table. Um, Aegon had the table carved before the conquest. Uh, he used to lay out plans for the for the invasion. Um, Aegon actually died of a stroke, showing the table to his grandsons. Um, Andrew Farman, uh, from Jaehaerys' reign, used to play with painted soldiers on this table while he was hammered. Uh, I can't imagine how enjoyable that would be to watch. Um, and I'm not sure if this was before or after he poisoned half of Dragonstone, but it is noted that, that he liked to do this. Uh, Maegor the Cruel, after he was, um, after he was crowned king, he used the table to write letters out to Westeros. Um, and then we, of course, we have Stannis Baratheon, who's our most recent uh, use of the table. Uh, he used it for councils, battle plans, and to sleep with Melisandre. Um, one of the theories that I saw of the table of the painted table that I really wanted to mention, um, as mentioned above, it's a Weirwood table. Um, some believe that the old gods, the Three-Eyed Raven, actually used the table to see through it. Um, some actually believe that they possibly gave Aegon the stroke when it happened. Um, and then may be responsible for the mistaken prophecies that are dealing with Stannis through Melisandre. Um, I thought those were pretty interesting theories. But what do you all think of the painted table? Morgan, we'll start with you. I think it is the coolest thing in the world, and I would totally play with painted soldiers <laughs> on that table. Like, all day, every day. I would set up armies, and I'd be like, hey, friends, we're playing a game of awesome Westerosi super risk and I'm gonna kick your ass but we're all gonna play yeah super risk would be sick Mm -hmm. right 
right. I remember I did have a, a, a Game of Thrones risk, and I was so upset that it only had six of the nine great houses represented. <laughs> I was so <laughs> upset because I wanted to turn it into a super risk and actually represent how like real wars would have gone instead of just risk. Anyways, I digress. The table is awesome, uh, and the fact that it's Weirwood is just... Um, it makes sense. Like they, There are certain magical materials and what have you that you just find everywhere in Westeros. And the fact that it's Weirwood just tracks. I didn't know it was Weirwood, but... Oh, that's just a theory. It, that's just a theory. I know. Yeah. Well, okay, but still, like, you look sure. at it, you're like, yeah, that look kind of looks like a Weirwood tree. Right. Um... A little scorched, maybe. Yeah. I mean, anything I feel like made out of wood in Westeros that's important, I just assume is weirwood now. So, I mean, that's logical. Right. Anything that's metal that's important uh, is probably Valyrian steel, <laughs> just yeah. Um But yeah, no, it's a, it's a really cool table. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know how much I can say about the lore of it, but just I love it. Oh, and the the gold and the shininess, it's amazing. <laughs> Constance? Yeah, I I think that that, because I mean, when we saw the painted table, now Morgan Solar and I went to go see the Game of Thrones exhibit at the LA Natural History Museum, and they had a replica of the painted table there. And it was pretty cool. It, it was life-size, and everything was laid out, and the table was painted with like a gold kind of inlay on all the rivers and the cities and the names of everything. We thought, Oh, that's kind of cool. So it's gilded. That's why it, you know, it's, it's reflecting the light that makes perfect sense in a room that's lit by mostly candles. But then they get to the part where they shove the candles under the table. And you have to imagine that the carving, they, they must've carved it out and then laid it with like some really thin gold or something so the light shines through it and illuminates the table. But wow, that was such a gorgeous it shot. Looks so cool. Yeah, what do you think, Uzma? Wasn't that beautiful? It was so beautiful. Uh, I, uh, really, uh, we didn't think they could uh, just uh, put candles beneath it and it will be the reason why it will light up. <laughs> and when I uh, heard, when I read about the painted table, I was a little bit confused. Like, uh, it could just work with a map. If Egon, Egon wanted the map of Astros, it could just be on paper. Why did he have that table built? But it, uh, his dream and everything explains, like, he was preparing for war. And it would have been a lot easier to put pieces on it. And like you said, like Morgan said, it will be fun to play around with on that or maybe part of him a child like a childish part of him wanted that as for the theory i don't think it's where would like uh where would uh would should uh, at least not on the show because it doesn't look white right and uh where would true should be uh like white and uh as for the where would the old gods looking through the wood uh, don't they need faces for that like uh, the uh, people carved faces on weirwood trees so that the three-eyed ravens or uh, the gods could look through the, the eyes of those faces. And without that, uh, those faces, I don't think they will be able to look through it. 
I mean, uh, like uh, with the exception of pran, maybe because uh, that's the theory says. I think I, I right? I'm gonna disagree on that theory right there, real quick. I'm gonna jump in because uh, yes, that's the the mythos that they put it on for the gods to see, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the faces are actually needed. That could easily have been a misinterpretation by people who didn't fully understand how the powers work and just knew that people were watching them through the trees and started putting a face on it to be like, hey, look look at this tree, it's watching you. And then that slowly developed into something else. I mean, you, you never know how things develop religiously. Um, you know, Bran doesn't need it, but Bran is a special case. Like, why is Bran, Bran special? Extra- <laughs> because Bran has extra powers that none, no other skin changer or a three-eyed raven, raven has before Bran. No other like, that was living that we know of. But uh, the previous three-eyed raven taught him, he told him about things about the previous uh, three-eyed ravens. And they didn't, none of them had the power to walk into a human but Bran does. Bran can do things that other uh, three-eyed ravens or skin changers or walks can do. And I think that's the reason why the three-eyed raven was watching the generations of sharks just to wait for Bran to be born. So we know Bran is a special case. He doesn't need a face to look at the past. But we don't know about the other three-eyed ravens, whether they needed the face or not. What do you guys think? Let us know. Uh, in uh, on our twitter or other or other social media platforms yeah we also i feel like there's also you know there's the children of the forest which we don't know how ma- how much their powers you know how how great they they were so they possibly could be seeing in the future in the past maybe through wayerwood that doesn't have faces and uh and you know with the table being white i mean it is the painted table so they could have painted the wearwood as well so i i think that there's because i've seen other theories about wearwood not needing a face for them to kind of see things so i i think it i think there's potential there i think that it's like definitely possible and i also think that like this painted table has so much like importance and a weird symbolism to like one kingdom that i feel like having the old gods see through it or the three-eyed raven see through it, I feel like it makes a lot of sense. I'm going to have to agree with Morgan on on this, for sure. Does the door of how, uh, house, uh, the house of black and white, does it have a face on it? I can't remember it. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm sure it, it does. I, you know, it, it's made of uh, weirwood and ebony, I think. What What do you think, Constance? I uh, think we're getting off the topic of the painted table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if it was made of weirwood, it could have been lacquered over. It could have been stained. Uh, the fact that the table is so very old and it's had candles and wax and people handling it, the wood itself could have become colored just from use and oil. Uh, but it, it would be a really interesting theory if Aegon was using it to scry, right? I mean, to try to to try to calculate his battle plans by being able to see through the wood in the land, that would be way out there, if, if that's the theory. That shit would but be wild. That would be a <laughs> I mean, cool we've, theory. We've already gotten some wild Aegon the Conqueror theories. This is <laughs> true. Not, and some of them were proven true. Yeah. Aegon so. the Conqueror <laughs> scrying through the weirwood table of the painted hall. You yeah. heard it here Add first. Add it to the list. Our theory. Yeah. We're claiming this one. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, that was our love and lore for the love and lore segment. Uh, moving on, we have the dragons in the details where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance and Uzma. So the last time we discussed the opening credits of the previous episode, but uh, there were a few things we missed. So let's start with that. Uh, we discussed uh, Aegon and Helena's uh, twins, Jaehaerys and Jaehaera, uh, who were shown with the sigils of hands. But on the extreme left side, uh, there was another line. Uh, it, and it's their third child, Melor, who we haven't seen on the show yet. But we might see see him in season two. And then there was this uh, sigil. It looks kind of like Damon's winged uh, dragon helm, but I'm not sure about it. What do you think, Constance? Mm, I can't tell. I mean, we I know that we've seen Damon's, right? And his makes yeah. sense. So it does kind of look like uh, his. The one on the sides the, could the be wing. the Yeah, I wings. could see those. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But if it was Damon, it would have bloodlines coming off of it because of all his children. There are three bloodlines uh, going through this sigil. There's there's three coming out of it, but it would also show his marriage to Rhaenyra. There'd be that union between the two of them before we see anything else. So I don't think it's Damon. So, because we're not uh, seeing it meld about, with uh, another union, bloodline. Uh, Damon had three uh, wives. Yeah, right? none from his first wife, two from his second, and then the So these three, three could be showing Rhaenyra. his marriage to them? Possibly. I don't know. Because there, there's the one that goes nowhere, which we know is his first wife, right? Yeah. And then the other two could be one to uh, Lena and the other one to Re- to Rhaenyra. So that's I, possible if, if that's what they're showing. I want to uh, add in, I don't think it's Damon's home only because of the angle that it's showing it at. Like there's yeah. all the other ones have been showing sort of where, where the main look has a symbol at a much more upward angle. And this one yeah. is su- at such a sideways angle that I really don't think it's Damon's helm. What else could it be? Who knows? That's the mystery of this opening credit scene. It's <laughs> not very clear. I mean, it was pretty clear yeah. in the original series where we were and what we were seeing. And this is a little more interpretive. What do you guys think? Let us know. And the next thing uh, is this uh, sigil or uh, something round but it's too blurry to tell exactly what it is. Uh, maybe it kind of looked like the hilt of uh, Amon's sword, I think, in one of the previous episodes. But uh, we know it's not Amon uh, because of, he is uh, depicted with a sapphire a eye. Sapphire. Yeah. Yeah. So what do no you think? No idea. Uh, I got no clue. I can never see these. <laughs> I try, I try. It's something I, round, but, uh, and maybe something black within it. Yeah, I kind of see a round shape, but that could be anything. I mean, it's it's really hard to determine what we're looking at with the blurry factor and how quickly it we moves by. We have only by. So, uh, so many limited characters, so if it's showing yeah. a character, it could be one we haven't seen before. Yeah, it, it's hard to say what these things represent. What do you guys think? I have no clue. You guys are so much better at this than me. Anytime we do this, you guys say Who's it. Who's good at this? I'm not. Yeah. I, yeah. I cannot I'm, see these things. I just see either. blur. Yeah. 
like when I'm watching it, I can generally see it better. But like on like I've got a really really high def TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was moving uh, too fast, so uh, it, even yeah. though sure. I tried to take um, multiple screenshots, uh, none of it came out clear. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's look it's looking blurry because I've zoomed in uh, to uh, maximum yeah. <laughs> point. So that's why it's looking a little blurry here. You all, you all usually, you all usually say, and I just nod my head and agree because I got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys can tell what it is, let us know in the please comments. Please tell us. Yeah, please tell us. Tell us. Or, yeah, just contact us. What do we have next, Constance? Uh, next, we're looking at just backgrounds in Dragonstone uh, that tie Dragonstone together with the uh, Game of Thrones series, right? Because it's the same location that we saw in multiple scenes and multiple times in GOT. So they're kind of tying together the whole decor with the dragon theme. Uh, we're looking at a really cool looking dragon. It looks like it's got uh, saddles. It's like saddled on the side and this beautiful golden scale pattern there. It looks like it's got These gold overlay. Wings, uh, uh, those are the wings. Oh, it looked like a saddle from this angle. Okay, so those are its folded over wings. And then here, this is Daenerys in the same room with the painted table. And Tyrion. And Tyrion over there in the corner. And you could see it's the exact same art design. Yeah, it's the wings on the yeah, side. Yeah, it's the exact same wings. So they they are using the exact same design elements. And here's a really beautiful shot of what we're looking at. Uh, if you have the video going for this. It's this really cool dragon skull that's turned back on itself. Uh, and you can see even Stannis is in the same room with the same dragon. Or uh, Stannis is in a different room with a different dragon from what Daniela. I think it's Daenerys supposed to be the same room, but uh, they Could changed it? the design from season two to season eight. Yeah, if they change this, if they change the design from season to season, because if that's the season two up top. Because I think that's the side of painted table. Yeah, I think that's right? the painted table in both shots that they're that they're sitting near. But the dragon art's changed for season eight, and that's the art that they used in House of the Dragon. Unless it's the other it. side of the wall. It could be. I don't know. Yeah. But the art styles are extremely different between the two. Yeah. So I don't know if it was a design change from the art department or an inconsistency or if they just went with like, this is one wall and this is another wall. I'm going to say it's not a different wall just because the angle of lighting and the limited access of light in that room. Yeah. It's the same I, I think wall. it's, I think it's yeah. the same wall, just two different art styles with no consistency. Because we can season. see the windows, and uh, I think uh, Stannis was also staring at the windows, right? Yeah, I think so. So that's uh, now comes one of the more difficult scenes to watch, uh, but they, they did intermix it with something really interesting. Uzma? Yeah, I really wanted to discuss the bond between a dragon and its dragon riders. Uh, I have this theory that they have a psychic bond and a dragon, uh, they also share their personalities a little bit and can feel each other's pain. And I think uh, the confirmation of that theory we see in this scene. You can see uh, that Rhaenyra is suffering from childbirth and she is screaming and at the same time we can see uh, Cyrax is screaming as well. And uh, what I really loved was the uh, how they uh, showed it. Like uh, when Rhaenyra is looking left, uh, we also uh, see the angle of uh, uh, Cyrax looking left. I think uh, uh, 
Solar would be able to talk about it uh, in a better way uh, because uh, he's an expert in cinematography. But uh, you can see uh, that uh, both are suffering. Uh, like uh, Sarex can feel Rhaenys's, uh, Rhaenyra's uh, pain. And you can see like there is a close-up shot of their faces. So what are your thoughts on it? Uh, do you think uh, Dragon and Dragon Riders share personalities? I definitely think they're psychically linked. Um, we know that dragons only bond with one rider during that rider's lifetime. Yeah. So the dragon and the rider share a very close bond. And throughout this whole sequence, Cyrax is clearly in pain, or at least reflecting the fact that she knows that Rhaenyra is in pain. So, and some of these shots do mirror each other. Like this is how she, this is how Rhaenyra is acting. This is how Cyrax is acting. Uh, so I think it's a really good way to show the bond, the parallel between the two dragon rider and bonded dragon. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really kind of, and that really kind of helped because that was a rough scene to watch. So having the yeah. dragon intercut kind of made it a little easier. Yeah, but, uh, because just, uh, Sarex is not in the same room with Rhaenyra, but no. can still feel her pain. And let's look at Cyrax's teeth while we have this picture up. Uh, compare <laughs> this to the teeth of like Vagar, right? Cyrax is a relatively young dragon in comparison if we're looking at just the teeth. (laughs) I mean, we've seen, you know, like the the skull of of of, uh, Balaron the Dread, Valerian the Dread. We've seen Vagar's giant, massive fangs. And so this is uh, Cyrax, and she's obviously a much younger dragon in comparison to the other two. I feel like I'm watching Alien. (laughs) (laughs) Those teeth coming out with the dripping Oh, so next on our list, we're going to talk about the queen that never was. Rhaenys does not bow. Everyone else, with the exception of the guards on duty, has taken the knee to show their fealty to Queen Rhaenyra. Except Princess Rhaenys. Rhaenys has not decided whether or not she's going to accept the new queen as her liege lord. And so she just stands and watches and determines what her next steps are she's but that I think badass it's, uh, it's more than that because uh, in this uh, in this scene yes it looks like that she's waiting for Corliss's decision but in the in a later scene when even uh, Corliss uh, bends uh, like uh, bows to Rhaenyra even then Rhaenys does not bow to Rhaenyra uh, like uh, she uh, I never saw her uh, either bend the knee or bow to her mm-hmm. so what do you think is going on in her head? She's an equal. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't see herself as a subject. She sees herself as equal to a queen because of her circumstances. And that's something that she's always wrestled with because she feels that way. But she knows she can't be that way because of circumstance. The queen who so, never was. The queen who never was. Exactly. So she's she's <laughs> she's not acknowledging that she's a subject she's acknowledging a peer a peer to like i am also a queen even though i'm uncrowned so that's that's my take on her not deciding not to bow throughout that entire segment or the other segment i concur thank you mark and then we see uh damon uh when he uh hears the news about viserys's death and he asks uh, rainis how did he die and rainis says I do not know. Uh, 
Damon uh, gets to the conclusion that Viserys has been killed by the uh, Greens. He says Viserys has been uh, slain. And uh, when he says it, he grabs his uh, sword and uh, he uh, rotates it a little bit and then puts it back. It almost feels like he's trying to get com comfort from his sword. Uh, what do you guys, uh, What do you think about it? Did it feel that way? He he clenches his fist around it in such a way that it's like a subconscious gesture of I would draw this weapon if given the chance. Yeah, he's Knowing. angry at the Greens. He mm -hmm. thinks they murdered him, and he if he could he would uh, murder them all. <laughs> That's who Damon is. You can see, uh, he uh, he isn't uh, like uh, he is even isn't even aware of it, but he just uh, holds it when he uh, thinks that uh, Viserys was killed by the Greens. And uh, is it just me, or does, did he seem really restless in this episode? Like uh, you cannot see him standing still for a moment, uh, other than when he is taking action. Uh, like in this scene, you can see him pacing around. Pacing. He paces mm -hmm. around uh, four times during the time it takes for Otto to reach uh, them uh, and on Dragonstone. And uh, even he even paces around when Rhaenyra is walking towards them. And then uh, in the scene, uh, when he is standing next to her, he is still shuffling around. Uh, you know what went through my head when I saw this? Uh, I thought either either he is a great actor or he really needs to be. <laughs> Just look at him. He can't stand still. Well, I don't know about you, uh, Sam and Morgan, but I think it's reflective of Damon's action, nature to take action. He cannot yeah. sit by and let other people do things. He has to be moving at all times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As an actor, um, and also as an actor who has a lot of experience with swords, um, like his emphasis on his blades, not just his sword, his dagger in what we're looking at right now, um, yeah. and his constant looking about, making sure he knows what's going on in every direction, keeping his feet moving. Uh, it's actually um, a standard strategy for a warrior to not plant their feet unless they are striking, right? So you keep your feet moving and you know that you can move at any given moment in any given direction. I imagine his feet are pointed perpendicular to each other so they can move in any direction much more readily. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's anxiety. He's now gotten to a point where everything is coming to a head and he is unable to take the lead right he's yeah. stuck he wanted he like his first actions were all to act 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 and then his wife was like nah he's and frustrated now he's too. so frustrated yeah he wants to swing that sword He's like angry, you know, he's like, he's, we've seen him be violent before. I feel like he really wants to just take a head off, you know, like it's, I feel like that moving around, like that's like him being like, I want to attack someone. I want to hit someone. And I'm going to get a little deeper into this. The, the, I, the fact is that he is so tense and the person who is making him the most tense is actually his wife, right? Because she is the one holding him back, 
even when it even when it was her son who came to tell him not to act it was his wife's words that were being brought to him so that later on in the episode when yeah. he physically he assaults her yeah he, yeah it's it's her and her reasonings that he is fighting against he wants to be allowed to act and he doesn't think that she's going to let him and he thinks that she is becoming like her father and it is the one thing that he has striven to avoid is letting anybody be like Viserys after everything that Viserys didn't do he needs someone ready to act and he believes in that moment that she is not going to especially act especially when he finds out the reason for her holding back is a dream and he mm-hmm. doesn't believe in it he thinks it's stupid yeah and so that's when he just really just lashes out at the one thing he's actually has any power over which is his own wife you can just see the frustration on his face yeah even in that shot you could just see cuz Matt Smith is a great actor for emoting yeah. without speaking yeah he's very good at portraying his emotions without saying a single word just through the the look on his face so <sighs> good times that was fun <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a closer look at Rhaenyra's gorgeous armor here. And we're just going to we're going to go over this really quick because I've shared the pictures on our Facebook page. If you ever want to go to our Facebook page, uh, a watch party of ice and fire uh, at A.W.P.O.I.A.F. on Facebook, you can see a close up shot of this. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's made of it's it's hard to tell in the shot because of the lighting, but it's absolutely bright red with with a scale breastplate. The shoulder pauldrons have obsidian dragon glass uh, embedded, and they're actually gold. Again, you can't really tell in the shot. Uh, and they've got a uh, the dragon. There we go. Beautiful, perfect. And you've got the dragon there on the shoulder with the uh, Targaryen crest. Just a magnificent set of armor that she just happened to keep lying underneath the dragon pit <laughs> with her dragon. I mean. I guess where else would you put your riding armor but where you're going to change into it when you decide to I go riding? I think she was already wearing it beneath the blanket uh, like uh, I don't when know. walking through the streets. Huh. I don't remember if she had that on the I actually thought of adding it to our uh, Dragon is in the detail okay. segment but uh, uh, there were too many points so I didn't add it. Okay. Well, <laughs> she was smart then because she put on her traveling armor before she left the cave. Because this is something that obviously it's designed to give protection as well as be damn gorgeous. So that's that's the armor fit for the queen that never was. Oh, so beautiful. So, so, and Rand Condell said uh, in the inside of uh, inside the episode that the scales were meant as a warning. Like you should not mess with this woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. totally get that. But yeah, so that's Rhaenys's armor. Love it. Want it, and then, and then we have the yeah, candles. Let's finish off with that. Well, we were talking about this earlier. How cool this part is! Yeah, and then we see the candles uh, being put beneath the table, and you can see uh, how uh, these candles light up the painted table. Which uh, you can see, uh, like it's easier to see the table even during in the dark. Uh, and we saw the painted table in Game of Thrones. Uh, is it just me or uh, the table in Game of Thrones looks bigger? It looks bigger. It's wider. Yeah. yeah. I think it looks wider in that shot than it does in the, in the other series. 
If only they knew to put yeah. the candles beneath it. <laughs> if they knew how to work it. Yeah. Clearly they don't. Um, oh, so the last thing we're going to talk about here is the song that Matt Smith is singing uh, in the ending when he's talking to uh, Vermithor. And this is confirmed by Peter Davidson, uh, excuse me, David Peterson, got that backwards, who is mm -hmm. the linguist for the show and writes all the translations in High Valarian. Uh, the lyrics are fire breather, winged leader, but two heads to a third sing. From my voice, the fires have spoken and the price has been paid with blood magic. With words of flame, with clear eyes, to bind the three to you I sing. As one we gather, and with three heads we shall fly as we were destined, beautifully, freely. Isn't that gorgeous? Wow. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful poetry. I can't speak a word of Valerian, so I'm not even going to try to say it. But <laughs> I think that that's, that song was really moving, right? It was it was a beautiful song. And Matt song. Smith's voice was so beautiful. It just yeah. kept playing in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know though Matt it had no sing. music in it. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know he could sing. I think that was rather lovely. Um, and which kind of blood magic do you think they are talking about? I think it's uh, the magic that runs, runs in the Targaryen veins uh, because of which they have to uh, marry each other to keep the bloodline pure. I don't know. Uh, there's a theory that it refers to just the, the need for the blood, the right blood. The Valarian blood in order for it to be the right kind of bond. I actually had this theory. I I shared it on in on my White Targaryen Center very video. I think uh, like during the uh, old age of Valyria, there was some kind of blood magic involved that made the Targaryens or the Valyrians uh, blood special, and mm -hmm. that's what uh, allows them to bond with a dra dragon. And I think uh, this song might refer to that blood magic. What okay. do you think? Uh, I like to voice. So uh, the, I, I believe, yes, the, the Valyrians have yeah. very particular, like their magic has been intertwined magically um, and with dragons and what have you, just like um, the first men have had their blood intertwined magically, which is kind of the whole baseline for why Jon Snow um, was the prince that was promised, literally, the prince of ice and fire, the union between the two. I actually had uh, posted a, a crazy theory, uh, like five or uh, around five years ago, that uh, <laughs> the St uh, Starks or some of the northern bloodlines may have children of the forest's blood in them. That and that's what allows them to uh, walk into uh, other animals or see the future. Same with uh, Targaryens with blood magic. That's what allows them to see the uh, to have dragon dreams. What do you think? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's a pretty sound theory. And I think uh, that song, uh, this song, might refer to that. And we have the three heads uh, in it as well. The dragon must have three heads. We've heard so many times mm -hmm. in Game of Thrones. It's what made me sad that there wasn't a third Targaryen. At least in the yeah. TV series. It's Tyrion. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> nope. Nope. I think it's done. <laughs> no. Okay. You think, you okay, think Brad Sam, is a Targaryen? Sam, I'm. 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 I'm gonna call you out. Why? Why don't you think Tyrion? Is I a Targaryen? just don't like the theory. I think it really. T- I think it takes everything <laughs> away from his character. I don't know. I don't like it. I feel like the whole point is like he's like his whole thing is how he's like he is a Lannister. And like how he just like gets denied, like gets denied by his dad the whole time. And then for him to be a Targaryen, I feel like it's like, I feel like that just takes away his, his dad. Yeah, like I feel like it almost like exactly. takes away from his whole like I'm rebellious, I'm doing my thing, I'm I'm really working for it. Like I feel like it just takes it all away by him just being a Targaryen. <laughs> I disagree, and the reason I disagree is because what makes him the true heir to Tywin isn't blood. It's personality. It's the fact that he adapted and learned and proved his intellect and what have you. And he's still a Lannister because his mother is. Yeah. His mother was a true born Lannister. Tywin married his cousin. I can't get I can't get on it. I'm not into it. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm with Sam on this. <laughs> I think if we're talking, the council is divided. I think if we're talking a third head, I think maybe it was Rhaegar, and like he died. I don't know. We can talk about this in another episode. I, I can't yeah, do I it. it. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll argue this some other time, yeah. but. But uh, I uh, think- even in the books, uh, Joanna Lannister tells Jamie that uh, Tyrion is more Lannister than Jamie ever was. Right. Case closed. Not a Targaryen. (laughs) 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 Disagree. Moving on. (laughs) All right. So I think that's it for me and Uzma. Do you have anything else? I think it's for the fans to decide. They can tell us their thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But do we have anything else for fans of Dragons in the Details today? I think that's that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Excuse me. All right. Well, thank you, Constance and Uzma. And now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. As usual, Morgan has some questions for us. I do, and I won't ask about Tyrion because I'm a good person. <laughs> thank you, Tyrant. Thank you, dear Tyrant. Thank you. Appreciate you. You're welcome. I just want to say this is going to be Morgan's last show with us. Yeah, it is. So we we appreciate her benevolent leadership through all of her dictator, <laughs> tyrannical dictatorship. All hail, all hail, all yeah, hail. My benevolent dictatorship and tyrannical leadership. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. This will be my last episode. I'm going to be uh, leaving the podcast to go and focus on some advocacy uh, for trans rights. Uh, so. I may be back in the future, maybe next season, since that's a long way away. But for the meantime, this is going to be the last of me for a while. So, my next question. My first question. What is your favorite character and why is it Tyrion? I mean, what is your favorite (laughs) character or moment? Pick one or the other. Let's go with... Sam, uh, like I somehow knew that was gonna it was gonna be me first, because uh-huh. I'm a good person. <laughs> um, oh, there's so many good moments of this episode. I think I'm gonna go with Sir Eric for this one. I kind of like how he was just like two middle fingers in the air to King's Landing. He's like, I'm out. Fuck you, Aegon. Fuck you, bro. Fuck you, everybody else. And then he shows up and he's like, Rhaenyra, you're cool. I swear my loyalty to you. I am on your king's guard. Even brought Viserys' crown. I mean, like, 
how I feel like Rainier should have been given him more props or something, or anyone should be given more props. I just like I love that scene because you know we just saw just like the brutality of like just the birth, the fact that like everyone's getting fucked over, and then Eric shows up with the with the like the crown, and it just like gave like a little sense Real of hope. hope. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going with Sir Eric for this one. Uh, Constance. I liked it when uh, Damon gave the two Kingsguard the chance to swear fealty or, or get toasted. <laughs> and I just love the way that the bloodworm came over the hill. Like the head came up and over and then the rest of the body climbed over the hill. <laughs> I thought that was a really cool moment. Uh, so Caraxes is, is pretty bitching. So I was excited to see that. That was my favorite. That part. long neck. Uh, oh, it's so cool. That long neck. It's so beautiful. The way the dragons are also very distinct in size, in color, yeah. in style. They're just so much more fun to look at. And there's tons more. There's like 10 more dragons. Because you know that that uh, Damon named mm-hmm. off all the dragons that, that they have on either side and the ones that are unclaimed. Yeah. And if you've been paying attention to our Who's That Dragimon segment, you would have heard most of these names by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a couple we haven't seen yet because they're too young. Uh, they're they're very juvenile at this stage. Uh, in the next season or in the seasons to follow, we'll see more of them because they're getting bigger and they're going to be used in the in the coming war, like like Damon said. Uh, but for now, uh, Crax is <laughs> coming over the hillside mm-hmm. to to threaten the Kingsguard. Was my favorite moment. Uh, but Uzma, which part did you like? I have a theory. Knowing you, I wonder if mm-hmm. I'm right. Any guesses? Uh, Damon singing. Uh, I don't like. Can please can we pick more than one? <laughs> no, because we've already I was gone right. off on several tangents this episode, so no picking more than one. I was right. I loved that part, uh, and uh, it's uh, it plays in my head. But uh, since everyone knows, I'm going to pick uh, Damon. Uh, I'll go with another one. <laughs> um, I, I really love the part when uh, Corlys was like, uh, he said to Rhaenys that uh, you were right, I'm done with it. But when Rhaenys convinced uh, Corlys to follow Rhaenyra, when she said uh, that Luke and Jace are still, uh, like, th- she knows they are not h- her grandchildren, but she still convinces him. That that girl is the only thing that's holding this realm together, and we need to support her. And uh, because of that, Corlys uh, uh, gives his support to Rhaenyra. That was a really touching moment. So I loved that. <laughs> what about you, Morgan? Well, just as Uzma will always uh, love Damon, I will always <laughs> love Rhaenyra. Um, but. Uh, for this episode, I'm going to choose a sequence uh, that does not include her, uh, which is uh, Luke and Amond. Yeah. Yeah. That was intense. <laughs> like, I, 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 as a reader, I knew it was coming. I was just kept waiting to see how it was going to play out, right? I knew Luke was going to die. <laughs> But I wanted to, like, I, I, I wanted to know how. And, like, just watching it, and it just kept getting more and more intense. And I was like, ah, but he's getting away. But I know he's not getting away. <laughs> it's like, ah. Goodness, that whole sequence was just glorious. It was beautiful. And the intensity 
and each of the boys struggling to keep their dragons under control and failing to keep their dragons under control mm-hmm. and paying fatal prices and oh it was just it was such a good sequence that it just I mean there's a reason that was the end of the season I was watching it with my fiance and like she's looking at me she's like do you know what happens do you know what happens and it took <laughs> it took like everything for me to like not react to that whole scene oh. just being like like straight face when in my head no. I'm just screaming like oh my god I know what's gonna happen oh my god it was let's let's give uh, those those actors credit too because oh, they're yeah. getting pelted with all that rain yeah. Oh yeah, that rain. Oh, just like the ambiance, the scene setting, everything was just so intense. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was beautifully done. All right. Beautiful. Speaking of Amond, our next question. What the hell is going on in Amond's head? And what do you think he's going to say when he reports back? I'm going to start with Uzma for this one. We all know uh, Eamon always wanted revenge and uh, he tried to get it uh, during the feast but because of Damon he couldn't and when he saw this opportunity uh, when Damon wasn't around anywhere he jumped on it like take out your eye (laughs) and uh, Mm -hmm. when uh, uh, he left uh, he got his chance uh, like I do think he wanted to kill uh, like he didn't maybe wasn't aware of it but i do think he wanted to hurt uh, amond and as we've talked about this before dragon and their dragon riders are psychically uh, linked and i think vegar picked up on it uh, maybe uh, he it wasn't intentional but somewhere back deep in his mind he did wanted revenge and uh, he wanted to hurt uh, luke and that's why uh, Vegar snapped uh, like if you study that scene there were there were several times that uh, Vegar attacked Luke and uh, it was Luke and Arax uh, quickly turning around that saved them uh, uh, Vegar almost uh, uh, caught them in uh, in her claws uh, and uh, claws talons 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 yeah mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Luke barely sca- escaped that. So it wasn't like uh, Eamon wasn't try to, trying to hurt <laughs> Luke. That's what my thoughts are. Uh, what do you think, Morgan? Yeah, I, I think I don't, I don't agree with the, the assessment that he wanted it to happen and that's why it happened. I think he had a lot of rage. I think he started the fight. I think, like many bullies, he never really quite grasped what the long-term effects of his actions were until it was too late. Yeah. Uh, I think he knew he wasn't going to get an eye. Like, I don't think he ever really thought that the eye was actually going to happen. He just wanted to show that he was the best. He wanted to prove his capability. He wanted to prove himself and show Luke just how small he was by comparison. And I think that rage bled over 
into Vagar. I don't think it was murderous intent, per se, but rage would have been enough, especially once Vagar got hit. Right? And Luke's terror and seeking for a way out and having inexperience. Like, Luke, all you had to do was stay down there in those in in that precipice and whatnot between those cliffside and you would have been able to get out of this alive but you were ignorant you had no training about actual combat and you went up into the sky where you were gonna die but Sorry, i don't think uh, he would have lasted uh, within the cliffs long like uh, Eamon could have waited out Yes, but Eamon wasn't trying to kill him. That's the thing. If Eamon was actually trying to murder him, sure, he would have been screwed. But Eamon wasn't. I don't think, I don't, I think as far as what was going on in Eamon's head, Eamon just wanted to prove himself. He wasn't trying to kill the boy. He was just trying to prove that he was better. And what will he say when he goes back? I think Eamon is going to say, yeah, I did it, and I did it on purpose. Yeah, I think he'd own it. Yeah. I, I agree on that. That's the one thing, be, yeah. that's the one way that I think he is like um, like Damon. He's going he's gonna to own it because he looks weak if he doesn't. And he would never admit to weakness, especially yeah. a, uh, in front of Aegon. All right, so, Constance, your turn. I think that I, I, I'm agreeing a little bit with both of you, right? The dragons and the riders are psychically linked. And I also agree that it wasn't Amon's intent to kill Luke. But I think what happened was this goes to show that no matter how much the Targaryens think they can control the dragons, they can't. The dragons are still wild creatures of their own power that doesn't matter how many times you yell at them in Valerian, they're going to do what they want to do. And as soon as, like you said, as soon as Arax hit Vagar with that gout of flame, he knew it was over. Vagar was not going to go turn, was not going to listen to Amund and just let that fly. So I think that the dragons got it in their head that, oh, this is a territorial battle. And the dragons, really, Arax has never seen combat. Vagar has obviously we, we've all seen how battle scarred she is uh, so for her this was a territorial match there's a young dragon in her territory that just attacked her she has to defend herself and that means the way she knows how is by killing her opponent and just the sheer size and scale between the two of them uh, Luke was lucky to last as long as he did I agree he probably could have stayed in the, in the, the narrows and waited it out but he's a scared kid of 14. Yeah. He's not thinking. He's reacting. So that's, I and think, then as for Amond, oh, go ahead, Uzma. I think Arax was also reacting to uh, Luke's fear. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Arax was probably very scared as well. I mean, that's a, that's a scary dragon to have coming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for Amond, I think he owned it when he got back. He probably boasted. And in fact, uh, there's one of the legends of what happens to Luke's body is that he finds Luke's body, takes out the eyes, and presents them to Maris Baratheon, 
on a bed of seaweed. So if that's that's one of the legends the, of what may have happened to Luke after the fall. Uh, so if that's the case, the name and 100% owned it. <laughs> Uh, but Sam, uh, what, what's your thoughts on all this mess? Uh, well, I think he's going to go back to King's Landing and the first thing he's going to say is, Mom, please don't get mad. And then <laughs> she will. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think he's necessarily going to own it when he gets back. I think it's going to be more of a case of he's going to say he's going to say what happened and then like Otto and Allison will spin it in a way that he's like that he had to do it. I think that that's more what's going to happen because they're basically pulling the propaganda shit right now in King's Landing already. Mm-hmm. So I think it, that's how it's going to be pulled. Um, I do agree with the fact that I do not think he was trying to kill Lucerus at all. I think it was definitely like just like a like you said like we've said like a bully fucked around and went and then it went too far and a kid died. And like you know we've talked about dragons being basically warheads and it's like you play with guns like you're gonna probably fuck up. So like I think they were like messing around and like even Eamon said way 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 back when he first got Vagar, he didn't give a shit about his eye cuz he got Vagar. He was like it's all right. I I lost my eye but I got this massive awesome dragon. So I I think it's more like like I definitely don't think he was trying to kill Lucerus. I think that it was just like he was going to mess with him. He was going to chase him around a little bit and then probably, like, leave him alone. I also think that Eamon's pretty aware of the, like, political, like, climate right now in the sense that, like, there is a there was a potential piece on the line, whether it was, like, very a very small chance of it actually being a thing. I think he's aware of that. And even in that, you know, in episode nine, he says, he's like, I've read the books. I've done the fighting, like, I should be king. So I think that he is aware of all these things of, like, how bad it would be if he did kill Lucerus. Um, He still acted recklessly, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt, I guess. But, yeah, I I think that it was just, like, he was like, I'm just going to mess around with my nephew real quick. I'm going to mess with him, think he's in danger, and then I'm going to leave. And then Vagar was like, um, I don't do that. I'm a crotchety mad dragon. I'm going to eat this little shit. <laughs> and that's basically what happened. So, yeah. I'm going to taught him some manners, how to treat your elders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to blow flame in my face? All right. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like Munch. to add in... Uh, uh, Viserys at the very beginning of episode 1 Viserys says that the idea that we control the dragons is an illusion do you think uh, Viserys ever lost control of Beleriand when he tried to ride him because we know there was one incident before them uh, in the histories when uh, Beleriand took Arya and uh, he took her to Valeria and when they came back they were both injured and everything I think that's the only incident where a dragon rider might have lost lost control of a dragon I don't remember anyone else losing control of a dragon do you think it's possible that I mean uh, Danny Danny lost control of her dragons but uh, that didn't happen uh, during Viserys's time no but it shows that even a Targaryen doesn't have perfect control over the dragons. I, I think absolutely that Viserys didn't have control over Balerion. I think Balerion is like, hey, cool. Here's a passive guy who's not very uh, problematic for me. I'm going to ride around. I'm going to fly around. He can ride on my back. It's all chill. I'm getting kind of tired and old and crotchety, but at least this guy's not like a problem. So cool. He's <laughs> chill. He can stay. 
Yep, agreed. <laughs> yep. There's no way that the Black Dread was like, yeah, Viserys is the perfect writer for me. No fucking way. He was like, yeah, this guy will just hang out on my back and we'll hang out a little bit. I'm retired. <laughs> we'll pour a Long Island iced tea and hang out. Whatever. It's good stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on. Um, next question is, now that the battle lines have been drawn and first blood has been spilt and or eaten, how do you feel about watching the rest of the carnage that's going to play out? I mean, without going into details, we're not going to talk about any spoilers, but knowing that this is Game of Thrones and many of our beloved characters are going to die and we've started falling in love with so many of these characters this season... How do you all feel about moving forward and what's to come? Let's start with Constance. Oh, it's going to be so hard. (laughs) It's going to be so hard because they're doing a really good job about making you like the right people Mm -hmm. just in time to break you (laughs) as they do. (laughs) I mean, George R. R. Martin's writing is good about that. He, he endears you to certain characters and certain perspectives and certain places, situations, objects, and then rips your heart out. Like when Winterfell was sacked, I was devastated. That was so sad. You know, uh, the Red Wedding, that was so traumatic. Um, Ned Stark in the very beginning, right? I mean, just to kick the whole thing off. But I think that we're going to have a bumpy road ahead. <laughs> Because they're making some changes for for the sake of dramatic license, which I understand. But I think for the most part, we know that we're going to see a lot of death coming in the in the war to come. So, not fun. <laughs> it'll be I mean, it'll be It's going to be a war. A lot of death. Yeah, Sam. It's going to be a bloodbath. Um, yeah, I uh, I think like you were talking about some of the changes that they've made to the series and I think like one of the things I've really loved is how they've how they I, I don't know if you call it a change or just an interpretation but how a lot of the things that have happened are more mistakes or like misunderstandings or like just kind of like just parts where it's just like oh if this person would have just talked to this person or if this person didn't say this person like I like how it's turning more into a tragedy rather than just like a fight for power mm-hmm. I find like yes. I think that that's making it so much more compelling to watch because you're like, you know, if it was just a, a power grab, it would still probably be great television. But now we're watching and we're like, oh, my God, if this person just, you know, it just like it feels so much more tragic when like, you know, when Lucerus died. I mean, he, even, he hasn't even had that much screen time. But like, you know, you felt that because it was like oh shit, Eamon didn't mean to. And like this kid was just like trying to, who was just talking about how he gets sick on boats is like going to like Storm's End to like make a peace treaty. So like, I like this like addition of like tragedy. So like basically what you were saying, it's going to be rough. Like it's going to be sad. Like I'm sure it's going to be brutal. Like it's, it's like television I'm excited for, but definitely like you know, have my tissues ready, have some drinks ready, all that good stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uzma? Same. Uh, I know it's gonna hurt as hell, but I'm also looking forward to it. It's just like with Luke's uh, death scene. Uh, like, uh, the moment he left uh, Dragonstone, I was like, no, please don't go. <laughs> but uh, it's just... Uh, 
that moment was the one moment I was also looking forward to the most to watch in this episode because I knew it was going to be epic. Uh, so it was, uh, it's like both. Uh, I want to watch it, but I know it will hurt a lot. <laughs> what about you, Morgan? Oh, I'm glad that I have a therapist. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have a specific oh. therapy for this kind of, for this show? House of the Dragon Therapy. I Insurance doesn't uh, cover it, but it works. No, it does not. It does not. No, it's... There's a lot of things that I have trouble watching in this show. I love this show. Um, but since Game of Thrones... I have developed a bit of PTSD. So like getting through a lot of this is much harder for me than it used to be when I was watching Game of Thrones. And uh, uh, just knowing what's coming helps. So those of you who are really, really attached to the characters, read ahead. Read ahead and prepare yourselves like I am already prepared because oh if i did not know what was coming in that last episode oh, oh i would have been oh broken but yeah i i i know how bloody it's gonna be i know it's a war i know it's game of thrones i know they're gonna throw in twists and turns and things are gonna go different than the way i expect them but oh i'm gonna watch it I'm gonna watch every last second of it because I love it. But it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard. Mm-hmm. What good is art if it if it doesn't hurt a little bit? Um, I think not knowing uh, is more enjoyable. Uh, like Red Wedding, I didn't know it was going to happen, and I was completely shocked. <laughs> so it was a totally different experience. I suppose it's up to the viewer, right? Yeah. If if you want to know the story and see how it unfolds, then read Fire and Blood, right? I mean, that's <laughs> the book. Ta-da! Fire and Blood. Uh, there's also a new book out today that was just released. Uh, the new uh, the new uh, illustrated guide to the Targaryens. Let me see if Which I can. Which I think is the same the time dragon. period. Same time period as Fire and Blood, right? Yeah, it's it's encompassing the same time period, but it's fully illustrated and freaking gorgeous. Uh, let's see. They're really they holding yourselves. back on, on releasing anything for the second half of the Targaryen dynasty. Yeah, they haven't they haven't come out with any of that uh, that stuff yet. Yeah, apparently Windsor Winter's coming out before that one, so we'll see that book in like twenty thirty five. I don't know. <laughs> I won't go there. Mm-hmm. I won't go there. We already went there with Tyrion. I won't <laughs> go there with this. It's called The Rise of the Dragon. Uh, an Illuminated History. An Illustrated History of the Targaryen Dynasty. At volume 1. <laughs> and that has over 180 new illustrations. So it's absolutely gorgeous. It's made by the same people. I think the dragon image uh, I used in the video. I think it was from Rise of the Dragon. Yeah, Rise of the Dragon. Uh, it's also illustrated by, uh, well, it's also written by the people that wrote The World of Ice and Fire, Elio Garcia and Linda Atkinson. So they've worked with George before in fleshing out the details of the world. So 
Uh, if you want to read ahead, that Fire and Blood and the World of Ice and Fire are your three resources. Uh, but again, spoilers. <laughs> they they will help pad the blows of what's to come, but then you don't get that shock and surprise like Uzma was talking about. So, Which reminds me, I need to go pick up my copy off of Amazon tonight, so I'm going to do that after we're done with the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, those are my questions for tonight. Uh, back to you, Sam. So I would like to ask a question if it's okay with Lady Tyrant. Uh, mm-hmm. I will allow it this one time since it's my last night of tyranny. Okay. So we've talked a lot about Damon throughout the series. Mm-hmm. A lot of lot of defending Damon. The internet loves to defend Damon. After this episode, I'm very curious on our feelings about Damon, specifically you, Uzma, because I know that you're a big Damon <laughs> fan. But I'm curious on what our feelings are about Damon now. Um Uzma, we'll start with you. Okay, I'll say domestic violence is not okay and what he did to Rhaenyra wasn't okay. But I still love uh, the way Damon uh, reacted in this whole episode. I think uh, what we saw in this episode was Damon... uh, Damon's overproductive nature like Damon loves his family and once he realizes that the greens have killed his uh, brother he knows he will uh, they will come after his family next so what does he just look at his actions uh, uh, not what he says uh, just look at what he does the moment he hears the news that uh, Viserys has been killed uh, the first thing he does was and secure dragonstone uh, he knows Otto Hightower. He's uh, he says the green, if the Greens are going to kill them, they will send us. Uh, they won't do it uh, in open. They will send an assassin, and that's what he uh, tries to prepare against. Uh, because he knows Otto Hightower, and that's what Otto Hightower was actually going to do if Alicent hadn't stopped him. So he wasn't wrong. Uh, he. Um, he was afraid for the safety of his family and i think he does uh, i know a lot of people uh, say that he doesn't care about rainira or jace but i don't think that's true he does love them because uh, you can see he is trying to protect them uh, the very first thing he does was uh, try to protect them and after that he tries to show jace how to uh, secure the loyalty of people uh, and he is threatens the king's card to swear a new oath with Rhaenyra as their queen and Jace as their heir and he in in his own way he tries to teach Jace how to do it uh, so and then later we saw uh, with uh, Otto he says uh, he knows uh, that Aegon and Aemon will never treat their kids well so he says he would rather uh, feed his uh, kids to the dragons rather than have them serve Aegon and uh, so it's his overproductive nature he wants to take action he knows the the greens he knows it will not go well and he was right we saw what happened with luke whether it was intentionally uh, or not sooner or later it would have happened uh, so he was trying to prepare for that he w- wanted to secure allegiances of different houses all he did was uh, in favor of protecting his family so I think after this episode, I like Damon, uh, Damon even more. What do you think, Morgan? Okay, so I love Damon. Um, pressing <laughs> that. So the reason I love Damon is not because he's a good guy, right? 
we know he ain't. Yeah. But um, the thing with Damon is he is a battle-hardened veteran, right? He is scarred. He fits in the world in one particular way, and that is through violence. Regardless of how he wants to achieve things, he always uses violence as a means to that end. The same thing happens with Rhaenyra. Violence to make a point. He's not trying to, like, hurt her, hurt her. Now, I'm not saying that that validates his actions or that it's okay. Obviously, it's not, especially through a modern lens. However, from his perspective, everything is violence in the end. The only way that he can show people is what he really means is through violence. That's why he flourished when he was out of the um, the small council and focusing on the city watch. It's why he flourished when he went and fought on the steps. It's why he flourished here, where he was... Uh, why, well, not well. he struggled here because he was having his wings clipped. The one and only time that he really tried to step away from violence... He just couldn't stay away from it. He's a violent man. He's gonna do violent shit, and he's gonna keep hurting people no matter what. But as long as they know that that's who he is, and they accept him for who he is in that way, and they choose to stay around him, hey, he's more useful to them on his on their side than otherwise. What are your thoughts, Constance? I think that he's a product of a second son. He feels the need to prove himself. He feels the need to take action, especially after seeing Viserys' inaction his whole life. And I think that once he was removed from that environment, like when he was in Pentos with Lena, he was not violent. He was a scholar. He was, you know, taking care of his kids. One of his kids, anyways, you know, he, he preferred the one over the other but he wasn't interested in getting back into things he would have been perfectly happy to stay there do the occasional dragon flame over their enemies and stay out of politics stay out of war so i think that he flourishes in that environment he probably would have gotten bored had he stayed in pentos of not having anything to do because <laughs> he needs action it's like we watched him through this episode pacing constantly Fidgeting with his sword, fidgeting back and forth. He's a man of action and he's, as you said, his wings were clipped. Now, I don't agree with how he reacted to Rhaenyra. That was uncool. But as far as his rationale for it is, he, again, doesn't want to be hindered by inaction and having to play catch up after everybody else has moved their pieces around the board and you're just sitting here in your corner waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, so I think that's, that's Damon's interesting from that perspective because he needs, he needs action to thrive. He just can't sit by and do nothing. Uh, uh Sam, what, what do you think about him? 
I kind of, I like had a lot of problems with Damon in this episode. I, I don't actually think that he did a lot of things for family in this episode. I think that that anger towards Rhaenyra was more than just like inaction. I think it was he got passed over for, you know, the succession of the throne. I think that that had something to do with the fact that Rhaenyra was that person who was also holding him back like Viserys has. Um, I think that like, I, I think that the fact that he didn't know about this prophecy was also like a jealousy thing. I think that because that's when he snapped. Like, I don't think it was just because about like Viserys. Like, I think that his I think that his motivations are less are less family oriented than we've kind of talked about before. I think there's like a certain selfishness of like of what he wants. Like, it, obviously his brother died, so he wants to kill people because his, his brother died. That makes sense, 100%. But like, we saw throughout this whole episode, like he leaves Rhaenyra to like have this painful stillbirth. Like even during council, he is like continually like like poking at Rhaenyra, like defying her who, and she is queen. And like at one point she has to tell everyone to leave the room. And finally, when they speak, she alone he chokes her like i think that there is a level of like he doesn't actually necessarily want to follow rainier 100 percent because she's in a position that like he thinks he should be in and also like i think there is a part of the the fact that she was viserys's favorite over him and stuff like that so i, I think that there i think that he is like not just a bad dude i think he's like like i think he's selfish i think there are a lot of like what he did in this episode really showed like his actual character and I think there were little signs of it throughout the show and that this was like the final thing where we're like, oh, this is just like a dick. So good, great character. I don't want to act like he's not a fantastic character because I also think Eamon's a fantastic character, but also a dick. But um, <laughs> I just like, I think that, yeah, I think I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't like him as a person, as Damon, I guess, if that makes sense. So I would like to add, I think the reason he didn't stay with Rhaenyra during her, that difficult time was because he thought uh, that they were in danger, that the Greens were coming for uh, them. And if Alicent hadn't uh, stopped them, uh, Otto would have sent someone to kill them. So uh, I think uh, he would thought that he needed to protect them. He needed to take action. And that's why he wasn't beside Rhaenyra. But we did see him mourn uh, when he saw that his child, uh, when he saw Visenya's death. All right. As my tyrant self, I'm going to say, we're, we're going long. Yes, thank you, Lady so, Tyrant. Okay. Back to All you, hail. Sam. Thank you, Lady Tyrant. <laughs> uh, for our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia, polls about the World of Ice and Fire, and questions and comments from you, the listeners. All you, Uzma and Constance. Okay, starting off with tonight's trivia question. What crazy theory are we claiming is a watch party of ice and fire trademark? <laughs> uh, go ahead and answer that for your maester's link. Again, five correct answers equals your rank as Grand Maester and a beautiful handmade bookmark. So please send in your votes. Facebook, uh, I believe our it's a watch a w o i a f at gmail.com. Is that right? Yes, that's it. A-W-P-O-I-A-F. <laughs> yep, those are it. Okay, so that's that's our Gmail address. You can also find that on our, our webpage. But yeah, send those links in. I'd love to get you those bookmarks. Uh, but Uzma, what polls do we have for this week? Okay, so the poll for this week was, what was Eamon really trying to do with Luke? The, and the options were, 
scare look take out his eye both option one and two or subconsciously trying to kill him and on twitter uh, 35.3% people voted for uh, first uh, scare look and uh, third option both take out his eye and scare look and on facebook with 56 vote people voted for options uh, three both take out his eye and scare him and on youtube the uh, winner is a uh, 45 percent scare look so most people agree that uh, they were trying to uh Eamon was trying to scare look or take out his eye I think I'm in the minority who think he was subconsciously trying to kill Eamon. What are your, what do you guys think? We've already discussed most of it, but still. Uh, no, I, I fully believe that, <laughs> that it was, uh, that he was just trying to scare Luke. Scare like have some yep. fun with him. Agreed. Bully mode. <laughs> Okay, so that's our uh, fans of the dragon segment. All right, we're going to close with uh, another, since we've done all of our Dragimon, we're going to close with most valuable dragons. So one, two, three. Most, most valuable, valuable dragon. 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 <laughs> we're going to give that to Rx this episode. <laughs> Poor Rx, we hardly knew you. Uh, cream with pink highlights, small of stature. Rx was hatched shortly after Lucerus's birth, having been put in the prince's cradle and hatched to prove that he's of true dragon blood, dragon rider blood on well, both sides. Well, his mother's side, obviously. We know where we got that from. Uh, we first see Rx in the dragon pit receiving instructions in High Valerian on how to shoot flame with the dragon keepers. And then later, Luke is tasked with making the short flight from Dragonstone to Storm's End to treat with Lord Boros Baratheon and remind him of his father's oath to Rhaenyra. However, his uncle, Aemon Targaryen, gets there first with much sweeter terms and throws a dagger at Luke, demanding an eye for an eye, much as Alicent had years ago. Boros refuses to allow them fight as he respects the Treaty of Guest Rights, and Lucerus is an official messenger. But when he leaves on Arx's back to fly through the violent storm, Aemon follows on the massive Vagar. In the books, Aemon is actually goaded into it by Boros's daughter, Maris Baratheon, who basically says, what, he took your eye, did he take your balls too? So Amon, being Amon, can't turn down that dare or that that kind of resistance, and he goes after the two in the storm. Uh, they fly through the massive storm, and dragon and dragon do what they do, which is to say, fight each other, ignoring the commands of their masters. And uh, Rx lashes out at Vagor with a weak flame, and then Luke flies into the narrow passages of Shipbreaker Bay to try to escape. After thinking they had gotten clear, they rise up above the clouds and start off towards uh, Dragonstone. But that's when Vagar flies up and bites Arx in half with a mighty snap of massive jaws against Aemon's urging. Lucerus and Arx both perished. Three days later, the bitten clean through head and neck of Arx washes up on Storm's End. Now, rumors differ as to what actually happened to Luke. Uh, Mushroom, who we all know likes the most crazy <laughs> ass story possible, uh, said that Aemon found the body and presented his eyes to Maris on a bed of seaweed, like I mentioned earlier. Archmaester Glinden said that Luke was swallowed whole. Was he? I don't know. Did, did we see that in that shot? I'm not sure. 
but there's an unsubstantiated rumor that Luke actually survived, fell into the ocean with no memory, and spent the rest of his days as a peaceful fisherman. Which is ironic, considering he said that he gets sick on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and so today we're going to salute one of the first victims of the Dance of the Dragons. Not the very first, I believe that was Beesbury. But one of the very first, and that would be Lucerus Valarian and his dragon, Arax. R.I.P. And with that, we're done. Sam, take us home. All right. That is our episode. Follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. And email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you are watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Massive thank you to our Lord Commander of Editing, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. Um, season one of Rings of Power is over, and there's plenty to discuss, so check out our friends over at Watch Party Lord of the Rings, who have all the lore and discussion you can need. We also have our pals over at Watch Party Wheel of Time, with anything and everything you need to know about that universe and series. Uh, this has been a production of Watch Party Network. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, we are your hosts, Constance. Good night, and goodbye. Uzma. Willem Ogulis. Morgan. See you later, cowboys. Solar, who's not with us, and myself, Sam. Hashtag mushroom for season two. Have a good night.